Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Bai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast, the podcast that looks at the future of spatial computing. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So on today's episode, I have Scott Stein, who's the editor-at-large at CNET, and he's seen quite a lot of VR demos. I think Ben, of all the different XR journalists, has probably seen the most demos of all the things that are out there in the XR world, but I feel like Scott is right there in like the top three because he's gone to a lot of things that a lot of folks haven't been able to go to, like the Reality Labs at Meta. He saw like early days at Magic Leap. He's basically been out and about covering the tech industry for a long time now and seen lots and lots of demos, including the latest Apple Vision Pro, which is what we're really focusing here in this episode. But he was able to draw from all of his other associative links from other platforms he's seen. And this interview is a little bit different than the other two interviews because both Ben and Ann were still on the road talking to me via mobile computing and the cell phone. But Scott had actually come home and it was at his full rig. And so we had time to dive in for a full hour and 45 minutes or so And this episode ended up being a little bit more unedited than I usually do because I just have to get this out before I hop on a plane in about an hour or so to go off to Tribeca. So you'll get a little bit of a raw discussion as we start to explore both our impressions and reflections on Apple Vision Pro. Well, not my hands-on impressions, just my impressions based upon what I've heard from both Ben and and Scott as they have their hands-on impressions. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Ben, Ann, and Scott happened on Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. My name is Scott Stein. I'm an editor-at-large at CNET, and I cover a lot of different VR and AR tech. I also look at computing, kind of the future of computing, wearable tech, gaming. And VR AR, though, has been a really big focus for me for um, a number of years now. Can you give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into covering VR? Yeah. So for me, I actually got an MFA in theater way back. So my background was all creative. I mean, it was creative writing and theater and playwriting. And I moved into tech probably around two, it was about 2003, 2004, moving back to New York. But it's funny because the plays I used to write were actually about tech. You know, way back I was writing about chat rooms. It was my thesis play. And then I was writing about MMORPGs and um, virtual worlds and AI. So this stuff was on my mind even then in the late 90s. And uh, it's what drew me eventually to what was going on right now. I mean, right now, meaning I feel like 2012 onwards, you know, where Oculus, Google Glass, and all these things that I had been thinking about for a while were starting to happen. I had already gotten a job working in tech, so that was not the reason I started working in tech, but it was this synchronicity. And so I tend to think about it in terms of theater and human experience. And I feel like that's the stuff that's the most dynamic. And I'm interested in the idea of the theater of how these things are demoed even, you know, or the idea of what we're becoming with these things on us. So for me, that kind of holistic question, that cognitive question, that's what keeps me going writing in tech at the moment. Awesome. That's really cool to hear that. I was, wasn't aware that's, uh, that you're coming from that, that theater background, but it makes total sense, especially with how much immersive storytelling is happening in the, in the space. And that's, that's a, a beat that I really love to cover, but, um, I want to take us back to May 23rd, 2023. This is when both Road to VR and Upload VR reported that they had been invited to WWDC to come cover Apple's keynote. Now, 
these are like the independent VR journalists, you know, both Road to VR, Upload VR, also Norman Chan from Tested. These are all folks that have never really been to these big events with like Apple. And so you're also been covering the XR space and tried out a lot, pretty much all the different headsets that are out there, covering it really closely for CNET, which is a, a lot bigger of a publication than say these indie, indie publications of Road to VR, Apple VR, or even Tested. But I uh, wanted to ask, have you ever covered Apple events before and covered things like Apple events? Or was this also your first time covering an Apple event? No, so I have been to a lot of events before, and that's why this was really cool, because it felt like the great convergence. You know, I had reviewed iPhones back in 2012. That was my first Apple event. And I kind of moved at CNET through a lot of different landscapes of tech. I was a laptop reviewer at first, and I was I was really interested in moving in tablets and phones, and that's what I did. I, and then I was looking at mobile tech. I was looking at wearable tech, because you know I was more interested in the idea of the extensions on ourselves than... I was looking at iPads and AR and VR. And so, you know, seeing this now brought a lot of different worlds together. And it was really cool seeing people that I've seen at Meta and things like Hollands or whatever. And and then seeing a lot of people that I've seen in Apple events. And I, I kind of like steeled myself for that, too, because, you know, I think I am a mainstream publication. But, you know, I look at it like I like going into the smaller zones when I can and thinking about what the breadcrumbs are that you can see that are happening that I can see. I'm not seeing stuff in the detail or the continuity that specialist publications are, but I like to sometimes when I can. And then when it gets really big like this, kind of like when it's different, but like when Meta, you know, announced it's moved to the metaverse, you can sense a lot of different people coming in that hadn't been there before, but that's also the cycle of stuff becoming mainstream. So yeah, I just thought it was very interesting because I'm used to the kind of feel of Apple events and I'm also used to the feel of VR events, and this felt like both. Okay, yeah. Well, I know that certainly a lot of folks in the XR industry have been long anticipating that Apple was going to make this announcement. I think a lot of us kind of knew that behind the scenes they were working on something, not only for the people who had been working there, but their acquisitions and their patents, and all signs pointed towards that this is where we we're going to eventually get to with them working on this. Of course, there's been the intrepid reporting from Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, who's been reporting on a lot of these stuff over many, many years, giving an insight as to maybe some of the behind the scenes. But all indications for me, at least when I was at Augmented World Expo, just from talking to the folks, that it was actually going to happen. So I don't know if you were walking into this event being pretty sure that it was going to be announced or love to hear what it was like for you to actually be on site, watching the keynote, getting to this moment of... Oh, and one more thing at the very end, after they've been dragging out all of the people in the XR industry waiting for this to happen in that moment when it finally comes. So I'd love to hear what it was like for you to be there and if you were expecting it to happen. Yeah, when I saw who got invites and people were going, I was, and also with all the reporting that was leading up to this, although I kind of felt like I've been following this for so many years. I mean, way back in 2018 at CNET, Shara Tipkin had written about that there was a headset. And I think that was one of the first stories on it. And so, you know, I feel like I was crying wolf. You know, I feel like every time I was following this industry and looking at it so incrementally, I mean, I was, I was at um, WWDC when they had air kit. I looked at the first air kit demos. I, and they were, they brought the Vive out then. And I looked at, you know, each increment of AR kit over the years. And, and when they had multiplayer AR where they were playing like a ball game with iPads, um, iPads at one WWDC. So I kept feeling like, Oh, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. But, but here I felt like 
I was trying to be like a little cautious in saying like it's going to happen because I didn't want to get burned. But I was like, OK, it's go time. Like it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I, I expected it would be at the end. I expected it would have to be a big core dump of stuff. I was you know, I feel like some people were wondering how long the keynote would be. And when I was looking at the time and how much was being eaten up by each mount, I was thinking, you know, like other companies like Meta and you know, even Sony with PlayStation and Microsoft, they've extended these announcements over many years and many demos. And and sometimes we'll, we'll let the cat out of the bag and Apple hadn't acknowledged a thing. So I thought, oh my God, we're going to go from, from the very acknowledgement of it through all this stuff. Like that's going to be, okay, this is going to be a chunk of time. Like I just, I was, I was like bracing myself for that, but it felt fun. You know, I felt at least lucky that I had experienced a lot of AR VR stuff and a lot of Apple products. So I thought, okay, well, I'm as prepared as I can be to kind of think about the, where we are with this. But I was also trying to not be pre-loaded uh, in my head with 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 all these conceptions. And it's the thing when you move forward in tech is to try to not feel like you know all the answers. And I was really trying to like unlearn in my head and just listen to what the pitch was. Yeah, well, you, you're really at this uh, perfect intersection of not only these many years at a mainstream publication like CNET covering not only Apple and all this evolution, but, you know, even going to like meta reality labs and getting to yeah. test out some of the prototypes that literally only a handful of outsiders have ever laid eyes on. So you've had the full range of different experiences to really be set up to be there at this moment to bear witness to this new headset. And I have to say that of all the different folks that had seen it, I think you were one of the first journalists that I knew at least to be able to see it and to report on it, get their uh, file the report and their video because uh, both Ben Lang from Motive VR saw it later in the evening and then Ian Hamilton yeah. from Upload ha didn't even see it until the following day. So <laughs> there was some like some of the uh, dedicated VR journalists didn't get in there right the first wave, but you seem to get in there fairly early. So I'd love to hear what it was like for you after the keynote and then what it was in, in your, your shepherding, your sh getting chaperoned into this uh, space that is, you know, offset and uh, being able to actually get an opportunity to have hands-on. So love to hear what it was like the aftermath yeah. seeing no, the announcement and then getting the hands-on. Absolutely. I mean, we had like, you know, a, a time that we knew we were going to be doing it and, you know, unfortunately they were, they were a little staggered and, uh, and, you know, I didn't know much more than that. And they had a building that, you know, I think the drones had, um, people had reported, you know, and said like, you know, you're not going to be able to hide where that building is, you know, it was, it was like on the other side of the, um, uh, of the ring. And, uh, and, and it reminded me of like, you know, they had built uh, a building as well when the Apple Watch came out. I was at this, I think it was the spring 2015 event because they were still building Apple Park. So it was at university, I think. And they had this like amazing, like full cube, you know, thing. And it was kind of that feeling where it was like a purpose built um, pavilion. And um, and then, you know, everything from there, we were not allowed to take photos and video, which is pretty common in the VR airspace. I was, I was, I was, you know, telling my team, I was like, be ready for that. You know, there's no, I, I went to, I mean, I've been lucky to do a lot of things like going to Microsoft for the, for HoloLens too. There, we did have video photo and video, but magically back in, um, in, in plantation when, when, when that, that very first moment looking at it, but sometimes those are very contained HTC Vive in Barcelona. When I looked at that, um, overall Congress, no photo and video allowed in there. I had to, I had to dictate my experience. So I'm kind of used to the like, um, or even um, uh, Project Starline with Google, which I was lucky to check out last year. Again, no photo and video in there. So like I had to, you know, so I, I kind of knew the playbook with this, but 
you, you know, and, and I thought it's probably going to play out like I've seen with other ones like that. And and it really was like, I think the one interesting thing is that they got a set up for um, lenses, which, um, you know, Apple was saying is not like, like, like per Apple, it's still in the works it, or, you know, that's the information that we get is that how those lenses from Zeiss are going to be outfitted um, and how you get outfitted for your, um, for the foam, uh, the, the light shield. I, I forget the name of what they're calling it, but it's, the faceplate and um and spatial audio which is like what you do with your phone already to kind of uh, that extra level they added to spatial audio optimization those were things they did ahead of putting on the headset and it was pretty quick i was pretty surprised that they had lenses that worked for me because i've done this I've, i wrote about this earlier in the year i've done this game before and i wrote about how i'm very concerned about what's going to happen in my glasses i you know i think in this this XR industry, we're getting, we want to get to, or not we, but companies want to get to everyday glasses. And in the meantime, you're seeing things like Vive XR Elite, um, uh, other headsets that are getting closer and closer and starting to say, well, you, you know, you're not going to use your glasses. And are the prescriptions good enough? And I've, I've been told in the past, okay, yes, we have your prescription. And then you go and lo and behold, they go, we don't quite have yours. Like I'm a minus 8.25 and they go, we have minus eight, but then, you know, you're, it's gonna be slightly fuzzy. And I sometimes bring contacts. I said, I wasn't going to bring contacts on Twitter. And then one of my colleagues was like, bring contacts. Don't be stupid. And I, I brought one old pair of contacts, but I was not going to put them in. I was like, I'm, and, and I felt that they had an answer, but anyway, the lenses look great when I put them in. Um, so whatever they did, you know, they had, they were prepared for the full range um, but I'm not happy that the that these that this headset doesn't fit over my glasses. Quest Pro accommodates for that, although it's a little clunky. Um, and so we then got led into a room. You know, the, this room was a pretty sedentary room. That was one thing that was interesting to me because I, I've seen a lot of demo rooms and a lot of spaces, and I'm used now to VR and AR being pretty active. And so I think this was. Probably it was definitely intentionally designed to be a little more sit down, um, you know, sit down, try things out, look at them, a little bit of walking around at the end. And that kind of indicated to me that I think that's the that's the use case here. That's the design. In fact, between that and the battery pack, I don't know if they're ready to have this first generation one be a super active headset. And maybe that's something that comes down the road. But, um, but yeah, it was about. I mean, I think the total amount of time I was there was about an hour 15, but that was not all in headset. That was, you know, there was waiting and, you know, going in and coming out. But I'd say like, about a, it was a, a solid half hour, I feel. It was, it was a, uh, I mean, writing about it, I tried to, I, I covered as much as I could remember. And I think it was everything, but it was actually a fair amount of demos. It wasn't brief. Um, and it was... Well, I mean, should I go into how I felt about the whole? Yeah, well, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, to kind of reflect the article that you wrote, your headline for your article, I don't know if you wrote the headline, but the headline is Apple Vision Pro hands-on. This is the headset I'd use to watch 3D Avatar. I, incre I experienced incredible fidelity, surprising video quality, and a really smooth interface. Apple's first mixed reality headset nails those, but lots of questions remain. So I guess yeah. that's the headline. Uh, so yeah, maybe... Oops. Uh, maybe take oh, it from yeah. there in terms of, you know, what what you're left with. Uh, you know, that you focus and begin with the 3D video, but as you're walking away now and you think about it, 
what are the things that really stick with you? Yeah. So I had a lot of thoughts going into this and, and after I distilled writing preview pieces and also knowing what people were reporting and then going into it, I had these three main thoughts that seemed to be surfacing, which were like one, are they going to emphasize nailing the display Two, are they going to nail the interface because they're trying to go hands and eye tracking from all reports and three, um, are they going to figure out cross device compatibility in a way that evolves the landscape in a way that I think meta and a lot of other headsets struggle with and, um, and, and they're, they're trying to find their way and they, but they don't have the device portfolio that Apple has. That's the thing that they, I thought that was the thing that they even more than anything could lean into their wheelhouse. So what's in, the reason I did that headline and it's funny because I, I wondered if it would even be seen as dismissive, but it really kicked back to something I wrote last December that I didn't realize would be a direct preview of what I was going to be seeing. But I, when I saw Avatar Way of Water in IMAX in 3D, and I've seen 3D films, I've you know seen a lot of 3D things, I've seen VR, but it it shockingly gave me a bit of a VR feeling. And I remember there was one moment in the movie where I just like turned to the side, like as if I was going to sort of see the rest rest of the space and i thought there was a fluidity and i talked to other people about this too who cover vr like there was a real fluidity especially in imax to that film that was so um so amazing and then i thought to myself i've had these thoughts about um headsets for your eyes for years and kind of a dream of like it'd be really fun to have something like going all the way back before vr um or at the same time avagon glyph which was like a that's like a a a a lesser known uh, deep cut. They had a headset that was like, you know, literally like a headphone. You put it on and look through and there was a sort of retinal projection and it was crisp, but it was just like early days. They wanted to watch movies. Um, I thought about that again, every time Oculus or others had cinemas, but then I would think I would go back to watching my TV because it didn't look quite as good. Vario XR3 was the one that a couple of years ago, um, I was like, wow, this is like retina level. And and I really was like, this is amazing, but it connects to a PC and it's $5,000. And the setup, is it's not designed to be entertainment-based. So the number one thing that really wowed me that I hadn't seen before was that visual fidelity. And I think I came away from it. And then lo and behold, the demo they show me is of a clip of Avatar of the Way, the Way of Water. And I was like, oh, they're actually going to show me this and say it's good enough. And it was the part that brought like, I got like chills. I I, I felt like I was in the theater. It made me feel like a little bit emotional. I was like, I, I felt that way too when I was looking at Vario XR3 watching a, a video because I thought like, oh my God, there's something about the visceral element of the resolution, but the brightness here, the vividness, and just putting it on. And I was like kind of dream of like personal cinema um, a little bit because I don't have a good setup at home. But I thought, okay, this is really amazing. And... That was the first thing that I that popped to mind. There are a number of other things that this headset did. And I would say like the, the second thing that wowed me was also the quality of the pass-through. Like I remember putting it on, again, having seen Vario XR3. I mean, obviously Quest Pro is at a much lower resolution for that. And AR is not doing pass-through, but everyone wants to kind of get to that zone. But when I put it on, I just went, oh, wow. Okay, like, good job. <laughs> like, I just felt that. I looked around the room and it was like crisp. And when I looked at my watch, perfectly fine. Like, I mean, not my regular vision, but I will say that by the end of the demo, 
when I took, I also wrote that down. Like when I put on my glasses again, there wasn't that big a drop off. You know, I felt like it was as close as I've ever seen to feeling like, like I remember at the Quest Pro demo, uh, when, when I did it at Meta's research labs, I think somebody said, welcome back. And I was like, well, that's not the wor right word anymore because you're, we're, we've been here all along, you know, like we're, we're, I see you the whole time, but, but it really did feel in that room that I was just continuing with them. And, and now a day or two later, when I think about it, I'm thinking that I really didn't pay attention to the pass through video. And I think that's the biggest success is that so much of what they were demoing was mixed reality with pass through video, as opposed to, I think quest pro even though my demos were pass-through video, a lot of Quest Pro is still VR um, with options to do pass-through. And Vario, the same thing. It, it's VR, but it can also do pass-through. But everything was leaning on pass-through and I forgot about it. And I think that that's, um, that's all, like the whole interface with the grid of apps was while pass-through video was happening, but I wasn't thinking about it. Like, oh, here's the pass-through video background. So that was also amazing. And the interface I wrote about too, like, I have a high threshold for where I want that to be. Um, and I think it it does some really good things. I'm really curious about how that will work, how you can opt out of being always having the eye tracking to focus because you're looking and then using very tiny gestures, which I thought about once. Like, you know, people were talking about ambient computing and I was thinking that would make a lot of sense, like to combine these and, and, and lo and behold, they're doing that. PlayStation VR 2, doesn't really do that much, although in a couple of games they do. And Quest Pro really backs off eye tracking on the interface, I think for battery accommodations. But it's interesting because then I also thought, wow, okay, so Apple is able to run eye tracking all the time on this headset, despite being standalone. Maybe that's the battery pack thing, but that's something that Mark Zuckerberg was talking about that I, I believe it, that there are, are battery life, big battery life considerations. So I don't know what Apple's doing power-wise here, but it's such a big part of the interface. Um, and then because of that, the gestures were so small that I was able, I, I called it being lazy, you know, that I thought that it was great. You could do lazy gestures. I could, I rested my hand on my leg sitting down and just did these little, uh, little finger mini swipes and pinches. And that's how I feel like you'd use it. Like you wouldn't want to lift your hands in the air and do these things. Like, so I was kind of seeing how lazy you could be. If I put my hands below my knee like all the way down it lost tracking but it looks like um the camera tracking is kind of similar to quest pro in that or in the same vein that it can scan downwards and has a pretty wide range also does jaw tracking um so i thought that was really cool but what i really want even more is for the touch interface to dovetail with a variety of physical products to make it feel like you're really just instantly swapping. I imagine they're going to do it over time, but they talked about the trackpad and keyboard compatibility. None of my demos had that. So it was all eye tracking and hand tracking. And I guess you can also use your MacBook similar to Quest Pro and extend the monitors. But I, I was thinking about I thought Apple Watch, iPhone, and iPad were, were obvious fits. But for the moment, Apple is not doing any touchscreen interfaces with it. But I know Qualcomm's doing that with their phones and, and AR headsets. 
I look forward to when that happens because I think that that's the device people have with them a lot and could be tactile. But we're also not even at the launch date of the headset. Like, I don't even know what they're going to have coming for Gen 1 by by 2024. But those are my thoughts on the interface. Those are the three things that, sorry to talk so much, but those are the three things that really hit me the most. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And yeah, just at Augmented World Expo, Qualcomm just announced the the dual render fusion that allows this dual rendering of a spatial object, but also to be able to render it on your phone. And when you look at your phone, you're able to have this two different cameras in the same scene in a Unity. It's the best way to think about it because you have uh, different ways of kind of interfacing with it from more of an omniscient third-person perspective and a spatial perspective and more of a first-person moving things around on your phone. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be on the pipeline. It just makes sense. I think the only thing is I, I don't think they would want to necessarily tether some of the core functionality to something where people may not even have an iPhone or they may not have a powerful enough iPhone. So, yeah. you know, or maybe they may have an Android. So, you know, they want to make it so it works without having all that additional stuff. So, um, yeah, but I wanted to to ask around uh, some of the stuff that uh, you mentioned, which I haven't had a chance to talk to either Ben or Ian about, which is this crown where you turn this dial and you dial in to what degree you're seeing mixed reality versus VR and the different interfaces where when there's other people in the physical space, if they come into your area that they kind of like materialize in, in some way, I'm wondering yeah. if you can maybe elaborate. You mentioned that there was a similar interface on the Apple watch that had this dial. So maybe you could start with this crown that allows you to dial in to what degree you're seeing, I guess in the Milgram, uh, mixed reality spectrum, where on the one end you have the physical reality, and then you sort of overlay different dimensions of the augmentation and eventually you're fully immersed into VR. So yeah, the, the fact that there's a dial there, I think is really interesting for people to kind of dial it in, but also to account for if people are in the space, how do they come in and out of that virtual space? Yeah. Like I, I thought it was going to be something like a fading in and out, but I think it's more like a curtain. You know, I, I, there weren't that many moments that we did it. There were some of the um, volumetric environments we did it. And I'm trying to remember the other moments where, where we, where we um, made that happen, but it looked like what it was doing was that, you know, you'd have a window, you know, kind of a mixed reality window going forward with some peripheral of the rest of the room. And then when you adjust the dial, that window just expands and wraps around. Same thing for panoramas. Um, and then it gets to the point where if you go all the way, then you're fully, sorry, if you go all the way, then you're fully in, in VR um, and, and you don't see the room. And so it was interesting. I'm, I'm wondering with that, how often I'll use it and how apps will implement it. You know, whether it will always make sense or whether it's something that they might finesse a little bit more. It's different than what you do on a on a quest where you're double tapping to just turn pass through on to see what's going on in the room. Um, I actually like the double tap on those headsets, but that's a little bit of like a kind of turns the features off and just goes into, you know, let me see what's going on in the room. Apple's is like, a, it, it feels almost like raising and lowering the, the, the blinds in a room. You know, it's like you're, you're kind of, it is theatrical as well. There's, there's a lot of theatrical things I feel like that are going on with this, um, with this headset. And so it was interesting, but I was going, hmm, like, you know, will it, some people don't use the digital crown that much, you know, and then it's like, you know, so I feel like, you know, are they, are they pushing this in a little bit to make the design statement? But I think the, um, 
the the ability to blend parts of the environment using some of their um their air kit tools that they've been developing the, the ability to kind of recognize objects and separate them and that i thought was really interesting and i feel like there's a lot of ways that can keep going i mean first of all like that my hands they were a little rough around the edges but similar to what air kit does um you know you you could you could just hold up your hands and see them in a in a virtual environment and you'll you'll see your real hands right there and but it was it was pretty well implemented and then when people were in the room i had one person on the left one person on the right um and i turned to them they would sort of ghost into view you know it was it was weird like i sort of saw them through the virtual and then there was an outline around them like you know we we cut out a little outline showing the real world and then they were sort of softly coming in it looked like they were fading in a bit but it just kind of activated on the presence of them i thought that was really cool again with a but that i'm wondering how adjustable that is because i think it's great to have that i think there are a lot of times you wouldn't want to have that and so if you know if you have five people in a living room and you want to have your own experience or eat a coffee shop you know is it going to mean that people are going to fade into view when you're working on something or you know if you're on a plane as they showed you know for a plane flight um or is it more about eye contact or is it um something that you can turn off the range i mean the apple watch is very deep in settings i'm sure this might be too i have no insight into that so i think it's i think it's super interesting it also reminded me of the, there was also some dimming of the real world in mixed reality where they would bring down and uh magic leap 2 the demo that i had gotten last year and i haven't used it since then but i it, one of the interesting features on that headset is that it can um even though it's their transparent lenses it can do like a like a you know, like adjustable sunglasses, it kind of dim, it dims the outside world and enhances what looks like it enhances the opacity of the, of the um, virtual object. And Apple has that too, for kind of a focus effect. And I think that's great. I, I, I kind of think that that's like a path for visual uh, spatial computing is that just like with audio, you can have the ability to um, tune out things and have noise cancellation. It's like some element of visual um, field focus um and i think that there's a whole interesting range of stuff that they could do with that i think it's just the beginning but that feels very new to me um yeah that's a that's what i was kind of seeing there well having the pass-through mode means that you can start to do pixel perfect stabilization in some ways because you can overlay things with a lot more control through the pass-through at least from what i've seen in some of the different demos where physical reality is always going to have like, you know, like immediate, no latency of movement. And then the technology just from the speed of light and everything else is going to have a little bit slight jitter when you're overlaying things on top of reality. But the pass-through video, you do have the capability to get it to be a lot more convincing. So I've certainly seen with the MetaQuest Pro, some different moments of like the, there's a piece called Eggscape that played at both Venice and South by Southwest. And there's just these magical moments where I was completely immersed into believing that these little egg creatures that were flying through the air that I just completely bought into it suspense of all disbelief and was totally immersed into that. These were actually real objects that I was manipulating in this space. So yeah. I do feel like that the mixed reality pass-through is a good way as, as much as Apple has been frankly kind of shitting on VR for as long as they have, 
Right. They've never they've never actually mentioned the word VR. They they sort of went to spatial computing, which is fine. I love spatial computing. It you know magically helped to popularize it, and I've sort of adopted it because I do think it it does explain this shift from two D to three D. But you know, there's certain elements of that the lessons from VR where I, I think of things like VR chat, where I've gone in and seen some of these different theater worlds where they have these shaders that have light reflections in the world. And they showed a video of this where they're able to kind of have this flickering effect. And I'm not sure if they showed that in the theatrical view, if you're watching like a 2D movie screen, if they were able to actually like start to bring some of those lighting effects and project them out into the room. I don't know if you saw anything like that in any of the demos. They showed it in the video at least. And I thought that would be amazing. It's these subtle things with light yeah. that I think your periphery or your unconscious sees that you just believe that it's there because of the your our understanding of how light works and how it reflects off of things. And if you are projecting that into this mixed reality projection in this space, I think there's going to be a lot of ways that, especially if you have a high enough resolution, that it's really going to be super transportive. But anyway, I'd love to hear what their demo was like to to kind of play around with what kind of effects they were able to do with the pass-through video. Yeah, they didn't, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of that uh, in terms of, um, Effects seeming to affect objects in the world, although they may have been happening really subtly and I wasn't noticing. You know, like I kind of feel like there might have been some shadowing things. There was definitely stuff when some of the um, things were floating in the air that at least the objects were being, you know, kind of realistically lit and shadowed to, to kind of feel like they were normally in the environment. But, um, but I think it's, I know I've seen air kit um, apps that have played around with elements like that. And, and on, um, Apple's played around with some of the air features like that in their um uh their uh, their 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 video app that's um that's not iMovie um which I keep forgetting the name of. I'm, I'm I'm totally flaking out right not now but um their their um clips oh that why did they take me so long but clips actually introduced some air features that were a little more environmental um yeah I think it's it's totally capable of it um the demo for me felt like it was easing us into the idea of an experience. And in some ways it almost harkened back to earlier VR demos of the past. In fact, it even ended, you know, with dinosaurs coming into the room, which I think other VR journals are saying like, oh, you know, it's like, we're back at the dinosaur demo. It's like, it's almost like the Oculus Crescent Bay days of like, you're going to see a spectacle moment. And a lot of VR now, uh, especially the Quest Pro demos were about like, you're going to pick up a paintbrush and do things, or you're going to be a DJ and do things. I think that Apple also iterates consistently. And so I feel like even though it's not here now, like I think that maybe the ramping up to like you're doing stuff actively will start to happen because it's interesting right now is much more like, let us get used to the interface, which makes sense. Cause again, this is like the first time they've had the headset. So I think they're just like, here's the interface. Here's what you're doing. Here's the, here are the controls. Here's opening up a few apps. Um, I was kind of ready to like jump to the next, <laughs> kind of like the Jurassic Park, like ride in that movie, you know, where you like with Mr. DNA, where you're like, I want to go to the egg room. I want to see, you know, I want to do the virtual DJ stuff. I want to, I wanted to put things in the real world too. There wasn't a lot of like, I didn't see meshing. I didn't see them, uh, the room set up. I didn't see anything run behind a chair or, um, you know, I wasn't pinning things to walls. Um, so I, I think there's a lot, although the dinosaur uh, encounter dinosaurs which is the most app the most immersive app demo that i tried at the end was like i think was the coolest 
VR dinosaur demo. So I think like, you know, even though it's not being called VR, like it, it was the one where you're like, okay, this was, a, this is a superior one where like a window opened up in the wall and the Carnotaur, I think it was like came through and, and they had a moment with a butterfly, which reminded me of the HoloLens demo where there was a butterfly once, but you know, like the butterfly almost completely landed on my finger, but it was cool. Like it was okay. That's a really good example of the fidelity of my finger and the butterfly the two meeting together like when i found this you know the, the i thought what the quest pro did did well like you said i think this felt like a super duper quest pro you know like i feel like the the quest pro what it did well was demonstrate that if the fluidity of the mixed reality experience and you even if the color pass through is not that great it actually means that that you accept the vr quality or it doesn't feel so out of joint with being projected in the real world and it creates a kind of a fluidity that in some ways hololens too i think struggles with more and i felt like it was kind of working like that what apple had those two ends meet even better so i felt like better pass through and better display just created this real meet in the middle moment um that had a that had a wow factor but, um, you know, there were other things. The other thing I didn't mention was that there was a FaceTime demo. What was interesting about that, talking about the trip to Meta, is that it was a chance to see um, what they call Persona. Not Avatar, but it's an Avatar, you know, but called Persona. Just like it's not a VR headset, it's a spatial computer. But, you know, it's like a lot of naming conventions going on. But um, Persona was there um, scanned... Um, I mean, it seems like a pretty integral feature where it's, you're using the headset to scan your face. And then that's that can be used for FaceTime chats. They didn't I don't think they talked much about where else it can show up, but it also apparently appears on the on the curved OLED. At first, I, I think the impression watching that presentation, which is the wildest feature. I'm like, I still can't believe that it exists in the headset. But I thought that was originally like some somehow your actual eyes. And then it seems that that's the, the scan of the persona showing those eyes virtually but somebody appeared in a window and this reminded me of what facebook's doing with uh codec avatars meta is doing with codec avatars oh these super realistic i got to see a very realistic codec avatar i talked to talk to them at meta and then i saw one that was created with a phone scan which um was not as good but it was okay the head was a little stiff it felt like a little like disney hall you know the uh, haunted mansion where where the head was moving and you're like feels like it's glued on a little bit apples was better than that and it was interesting is that's uh, you know essentially more like the phone scan but on a headset and it looked good um it actually looked kind of eerily realistic i was curious uh, the, the the woman who was speaking to me was smiling a lot and i kind of get into this um with thinking about the face tracking you know is she able to express other emotions like what if i made if I made her upset with her because I found that I was playing around with this um, on Quest Pro um, with a few people where I was trying to do emotions and express my face and grimace and do other things. And it has it has limits. So um, I'm curious where the limits are with this. And also, if it was my mom who had done a scan, if it was someone I knew, where would the uncanniness be? Because I'd never met the woman who um, appeared as the persona. But that was really cool. I mean, that definitely stuck with me. Almost had a fuzzy, kind of a fuzzy focus feel. It's like they almost um, blurred out the periphery as she appeared. And, and she also appeared in a in a 
picture in picture box, kind of a small window, not right in front of me. Like I was talking, surprising, like I kind of thought it would be like a person to person chat, but it really was still taking the, the computer metaphor for this demo of a pop-up window. And then I dragged that window across the room and then opened up. It was more productivity focused, like, Hey, we're having a chat. Let's open up Freeform, which is their collaborative workspace app. And I didn't get to work on it. I watched her open up some stuff. Like it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of getting your hands into the apps too much and making stuff. It was a little more of a, a, a guided view of, of how the apps are, are, you know, are done. You know, it was like, open this window, then close this window, then take a look at this photo type of a thing. Yeah. Going back to a couple of things, you mentioned the the portal into another realm where you see the dinosaur, the great callback back to 2014 Crescent Bay demo at Oculus Connect 1, because yeah, they did have a dinosaur demo with, along with a lot of other demos that were very quickly shown back to back. But yeah, going back to that spectacle, Ian Hamilton from Upload VR said that that was the first time that they allowed him to get up and walk around. I don't know. Did you walk around yes. at that point? Exactly. That was the first time Yeah, I got up and walked around. They definitely encouraged it. They said, you should get up. Oh, make sure to grab the battery pack, you know? And so like, that was the, that was the part. And probably that's the, uh, that's the sensitivity there as well is you got this big, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. We got this big battery pack. Um, but yeah, I got up and walked around and it was, and it was cool because the, the, uh, the dinosaur, uh, reacted to you in the room. Like I reached out my hand and it snapped at my hand and, but there was a sense of a kind of a dynamic presence. Um, and yeah, I've done a lot of these demos, but I still walked around that area and went, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, and this is and I think it was interesting to see so many reactions from people in the VR landscape reading reactions afterwards where they seem to have that same feel where it still had the ability to wow. And that's that's pretty impressive because I think a lot of people ha did come in skeptical to this and um, and we've seen a lot of things and. You know, what was this going to do? And that's why that fidelity is the main thing I lean on is the wow factor. Because, um, and I really thought having seen Vario XR3 um, that I would be a little more um, ready for it and go, and I haven't seen big screen VR, which is micro OLED, and I, I really need to see that. Um, but I, I kind of felt like I was going to be ready for it. But um, I still was like, okay, this is really cool. Yeah, for folks that had done the big stream beyond, I know that um, Norm Chan from Tested was saying that the weight distribution was particularly striking to him, at least from because the big stream beyond is so lightweight. They're really optimizing comfort over, over, over and above everything else, and so certainly have probably yeah. what is one of the the highest resolutions, especially when it comes to micro OLED uh, with the app and Apple Visual Pro app, Apple Vision Pro. But the weight distribution is something that I, I heard come up from a couple of people. I don't know if you yeah. felt that the, it was maybe a little heavy uh, on your face, even though there wasn't a battery, but still that the, just all the different metal and glass and everything was maybe uh, just as heavy or maybe heavier than some of the other competition. Yeah, it didn't feel lightweight to me. It, it didn't strike me as as like awful or, or cumbersome, but it didn't definitely didn't strike me as lightweight. It seemed very much in keeping with other VR headsets, but with a little bit of fit challenge, um, not terrible, 
but I was getting you. It's also with any headset, you get used to the the fit and stuff. Like Vive XR Elite actually had a tough time fitting on me, even though with the glasses spacer, um, Quest Pro is not bad, but it it's still um, it's actually I really like the fit, but it's a very tight fit over my glasses. So even though I think it's great that it works with my glasses, I kind of feel like I'm like pulling the car into a tight parking spot. <laughs> and I like that the HoloLens too easily lifts up. Um, so that's saying like, I think a lot of headsets have issues with, with the, um, with vision pro, I found that the face piece, I had a little bit of light leak at the bottom. Um, and the rest of it was pretty good. But then I think when I retightened it, it got better. Um, cause there were two tightening mechanisms. One is a dial in the back to tighten that, that tension in the, in the back piece, and then a strap on top, which are pretty kind of pretty standard types of ways of doing it. Um, but kind of finessing that, I think it was riding a little high on my face. Um, but yeah, it felt like a, the t you know, it, it seemed like a headset that wanted to, um, be nice and snug on your face. Again, that's, you're not wearing glasses. So in that regard, it's probably something that you wouldn't want to be too loose because the weight of it might, might drop down a bit. So I think that that's, yeah, it's not, is not like putting a pair of glasses. It's definitely like putting on a headset and, um, and that's even without the battery. So that's the other thing I would, I would say that the feel of the headset to me, and maybe that was a decision too, why the battery is not on there is that, you know, it, it may be weight because the, the, the headset felt like, like the size of other headsets, even without the battery. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go back to your, you know, two of your three main points, which was both the user interface as well as the display. So let's focus on the user interface first, because I feel like a lot of concerns from XR developers, at least who are thinking about potentially porting over their apps, not having a controller is going to present that there's going to be a completely new paradigm for how some folks are going to have to navigate or locomote through these different immersive experiences. And so curious to hear how, what your takeaway is from this combination of eye tracking, these small micro gestures that you can be lazy with, as you say, but then also the speaking, um, you didn't mention too much around, you know, yeah. different conversational interfaces, but it sounds like those three main modalities of your eyes as the cursor, your fingers as the mouse clicker and your voice as maybe the high bandwidth text input. But yeah, I'd love to hear what your takeaways are in terms of whether or not they were able to really nail all those. You said you had a high bar and I'm curious yeah. if they were able to meet your minimum requirements for what you would want out of a interface like this from the Apple Vision Pro. I think it's a really good start and I don't know hand tracking wise that anything is better, but I think what's interesting is that it was a, there was a piece I was going to write before this event, and I'm probably still going to write after the event, but I'm saying is it's been in my head um, that I was thinking about this move to hand tracking because there were also probably not accidentally. There were a couple of companies coming out of the woodwork showing some evolutions in hand tracking recently, and they were on the meta side of things. Um, but, um, you know, I saw, which I guess was at GDC as well. Um, um, Alchemy Labs was doing a hand tracking demo that I, I played with at home that was talking about, you know, using different pinch things they learned. And it's really a concept of, you know, how you can do this in a way that feels good and uses fingers essentially as your own aptics for feedback by pinching. And I guess that's what Apple's doing too through pinching. Um, 
I don't really think of that as haptics, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a way of getting feedback. Um, you could call it passive haptic feedback from academia. passive haptic feedback. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then there was also, uh, um, a first person shooter game that launched on quest recently that I wrote about that was in, I thought was interesting because it was, you know, doing a pretty active action game and saying, okay, we, we're not going to use controllers. And, um, Andrew Bosworth, who I talked with at Meta before about this, he, he's he's often indicated that the um, goal of the of the Quest headsets was to eventually get to a point where the um, the controllers are optional or not needed, that the hand tracking would be good enough. But it's you know they've been saying it's it's not quite there, and so they keep getting better with it. It's always been there, but I kind of it's you know you can do a lot with it, but it defaults to the controllers are nice to have. So it's interesting here because I felt like I think the eye tracking does a lot. Um, but I also wonder a, from ex an accessibility or just everyday use standpoint, and also like, will that get tiring? Do you want to get to a point where you want to have another way of doing things? Is that where voice or other things come in? And if you don't use that, how much, how much, how can you even do that? And is it going to feel much more awkward? It seems to me that I would just want some sort of a controller. You know, I kind of almost thought that they would have a little like magic leap type, you know, or Apple remote. Something that would just be a little, you know, especially since it's so entertainment based that you know, maybe you just want to be lazy and grab a remote. And it's it doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like VR or spatial computing, but it, it's kind of the easiest, laziest tool that wouldn't be such a bad thing on a lot of interfaces that are flat. Um, it wouldn't be for everything, but um, I don't know. Just thinking about that because you're right, like in the VR world everything is controller based. And so I think it's a big change, especially for games for how they're going to do this on the AR side. Companies are all starting with saying, Oh, we can't have controllers. And that's been the talk from meta with neural input research. They've been actively pursuing and um, even talking way back with Alex Kitman um, when I visited Microsoft and talking about that and like, you know, they made the move to never have a controller and they wanted to, make these moves to eventually add haptics he said you know they didn't do that but um you know i think um snap with its glasses so it seems like apple is kind of leaping to that spot and i think it's i guess that's my long answer to saying i think it's i think it actually works pretty well but i didn't get to use typing um i didn't use the software keyboard and i didn't get to bring up an actual keyboard and i don't know how I also don't know how those dovetail. You know, I know sometimes when I'm working on uh, Quest Pro with a keyboard on a MacBook, sometimes the hand tracking gets a little, you know, sometimes you can like lift up and then sometimes you activate something without realizing it. Um, I'm curious when the, how they hand that off and how they deactivate hand tracking when the keyboard is being used and how smooth that feels. Um, I also think there's, this is going forward a step like leaping over, but Again, talking with, um, I think it was talking with with Meta, with talking with Michael Abrash, thinking about this world that we're heading towards. There's a whole weirder world of interactive tools. Like, I think it's interesting that theoretically in mixed reality, anything can be a tool. Things that are in your world, things that are not in your world, things that are electronic objects that can interface or even passive like ones that are like a piece of wood. And 
I think, or inventing new tools. Um, I, I really am so eager to leap forward to think about that. that even though there's the hand and eye tracking, I kind of think about like, well, what are we, what can I do with this world? You know, what are the things I can use to interact with this magical mixed reality spatial universe? And I think this feels like, really feels like step one, you know, and I'm like, I'm kind of like, there's so much more. I don't really want to scroll like an, like an iPhone forever. I want to be doing something that's a little more advanced than that. Well, as you were talking, it reminded me of what Meta has with Control Labs with their EMG which yeah. watch base interface where they're wanting to do all these subtle movements with the fingers. And it seems like in some ways with just slapping 12 cameras and five depth sensors onto the Apple Vision Pro, they've maybe able to get past that critical threshold of getting some of these really nuanced finger gestures by just tracking the hands and having really great depth sensor-based hand tracking rather than, I'm sure that the EMG interface when it comes around is gonna be amazing, but you're talking about at least a minimum of three generations of a watch that Meta yeah. at this point hasn't even launched their watch. And they're talking about, they would have to do it with the third gen version of that. Apple already has their watch and the different ways they could potentially start to integrate different aspects of this watch-based interface for, you know, maybe they'll be able to, whatever, whatever their pa uh, patent portfolio is to do some type of risk-based interactions uh, based upon some additional inputs from the watch. But it seems to me that without any of that, with just your hands alone in this really robust set of uh, array of sensors and depth sensors, array of camera sensors and, and depth sensors that you're able to really maybe get to that critical threshold for this lazy gesture interaction, which is into this whole new paradigm. Yeah. It's very exciting. I, I agree. Like, I think that's, um, it's like, I'm kind of backing off. It's funny. Like the more you get, you kind of follow a field. Sometimes I'm like, well, why isn't this here? And why is this here? I get to that point with like product releases too. And then, you know, it's all like a spectrum. And, and I think the thing with Apple is like, they tend to be, to have this commitment incrementally, as long as that happens. But yeah, there's a lot of, this is a really interesting start for that to build that. And um, I think this would probably end up doing a lot of the stuff that we would be thinking would be there whenever that other neural input territory arrives. Uh, not like not everything, but a lot of the things. It kind of reminds me of like, there was a question I had asked Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I think I may have talked about this with you or when I was talking with uh, on on um everything immersive but um you know it was my one question to him at that meta reality research labs because he had talked about that the neural input would be something that you'd have to train and improve on and and it would adapt to you but suggesting that it was like a whole new paradigm that we would but then it could take on all these things but it would be a new thing and that's so strange to me because i thought like well that sounds like a massive step and I usually think of things as being very gradual. So I was like asking that, you know, are we going to, by the time we get to neural inputs, are we going to have like evolved other things like that with tracking, hand tracking, other algorithms that will, will kind of have this gradual point that the neural input will seem natural to that, but better. And he seemed to not know what I was talking about or not have an answer for it. Or maybe I worded it really badly, but to what you said, I think this is exactly that. I think this this could allow us to build a relationship with these types of inputs 
that will keep getting better and better. And then like a number of years from now, if neural input technology becomes a thing that maybe Meta and a lot of other companies use that will finesse it further, you know, then you're like, you have all this interaction that you're doing and then they could focus on like, let's get it to the next level as opposed to like, here's a whole new thing that nobody knows about. But I think this is like, it's not an easy thing to get into new interfaces. And I, I thought it was interesting that nobody seemed to have a problem with the hand tracking here. And I thought that was actually a really successful um, aspect of this, even though the head, the demos were very contained, but I think it, it did work really well. Yeah. Just this idea that it, with these non-invasive neural interfaces with the wrist-based EMG, the electromyography that, you know, I think talking to Palmer Lucky, one of the things he had mentioned was that, you know, when you use the typewriter, you do have to actually train yourself for tens to hundreds of hours to actually know how to use, to kind of train your muscle memory of your fingers to be able to type. But once you're able to do that, it's sort of like a, a superpower to be able to communicate that quickly when you're typing. And so I figure that there's going to be something similar to this, where it may be even just like getting the core muscle memory, but I mean, if you go back to the mother of all demos, uh, 1968 or 1969, mm. uh, there was a corded keyboard that he was using where it was basically like a stenographer type of typing where you're pressing different things in different or, uh, order. And so it, you know, this type of maybe nonlinear way of thinking about these combinations with your 10 digits rather than all these different uh, buttons that we're pressing, this may be the beginning of, you know, this like we're starting with this kind of gesture-based hand tracking, but if you really want to have like occluded hands or maybe you're walking down the street and maybe it's like, you're not even, you know, your hands are in your pocket or whatever, but you want to be kind of metaphorically walk, be walking through the the park and typing your PhD thesis, which I think is one of what this uh, AR developers who was wearing a lot of these AR headsets in the early uh, or mid eighties, late nineties was doing uh, with these early experiments with these type of corded keyboard type of interfaces. So I imagine we might eventually get there when we're moving out and about and wanting to have a little bit more freedom, but maybe this approach of just camera-based is going to be a good, I don't know, there's, it seems to be trade-offs between battery that it takes to run these array of 12 cameras and five sensors and, you know, right. the thermals and everything. And so it may be more efficient to have other more haptic devices that you just have your hands in this kind of corded keyboard way that, again, we're kind of talking about the next five to 10 years. So these interfaces were right. starting with this, just the basic being able to do the equivalent of clicking on a mouse uh, or clicking on the mouse button and using your eyes to to navigate a 3D space. But, you know, once you get beyond that, having more high fidelity input and maybe the conversational interface is going to fill that gap where you just speak it and you're not actually um, typing. But for anybody who does computer coding, I know that it's a lot more cumbersome to sometimes speak the computer code than it is to actually code it. So I don't know. It yeah. depends on the use case, I suppose. I'm really interested too with like speaking. It always seems very deliberate. I don't, I'm just kind of riffing here, but like in a similar way to the super lazy finger gesture thing that I felt like I was having that I liked, I kind of wonder if like sub vocal or like murmuring, like I, I feel like there's a point where I would just kind of want to have my own little you know, I dream of a system where, where my vocal language would be really succinct and subtle and wouldn't be like, Hey, blank, open blank, 
you know, and I just want to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, do this, do now. And, and I feel like that's kind of almost the way you almost like would, I would talk to myself when like doing work or something. And, um, I see this world of like very refined micro gestures and expressions because like, we don't want to, it's almost like the skeuomorphism, like the people were, I, I remember seeing like thoughts about like the one thing about hand tracking was that, and in VR was everything was very one-to-one, -one. like you're reaching out to this thing and pulling the lever or pushing the button. And Apple was doing something interesting in that you weren't so much pushing the button. It was really like the eye tracking was offering such a shortcut, which no other, even those eye tracking and a ton of things, no other company is leaning on it in that way with that fidelity that you can just do it and do a tiny gesture. And I thought that was like the coolest thing because like to credit to all the companies that have been doing hand tracking already um, in interfaces. But, you know, as far as I can remember them, like HoloLens 2 and others, they're much more um, like reach out and grab type things or reach, you know, move your hand up to pinch the thing. And this like you didn't have to move your hand up. It was just, you know, kind of look up. And it would kind of highlight a little bit and you just tap your fingers gently. And that was all you need. And that felt a lot more wonderfully lazily subtle. And I think that's like the part where it almost feels like a brain activity than felt. It felt more like a neural thing than a physical gesture. Yeah. The closest that I've seen that was really exploring the eyes as a user interface input was a company called iFluence that I saw at TechCrunch Disrupt back in 2016. Yeah. They actually got, they actually got bought by Google. Uh, I, I, disappeared. I met with them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that, but they, they were only using the eyes so that you had to do this kind of eye gesture to do things. It was a little bit of un, unorthodox. You had to kind of learn it and maybe your eyes move around a lot. So it wasn't necessarily fatiguing, but I can imagine if you were doing it a lot, it might be fatiguing. I don't know because at least with this system for Apple Vision Pro, your eyes are already moving around a lot, but to extrapolate your intent over what you're actually looking at, combined with the gesture of your fingers, I feel like that multimodality connection was probably a little bit more elegant than what I saw with iFluence back in 2016. Yeah, um, I remember some of those early eye tracking demos that were, felt like they were a little more like, um, intent like it felt a little more like i work what i thought was interesting is that the language they were using for the icons lighting up is actually again like in apple products when they were doing the trackpad stuff with the ipad it's it's very similar in that um like when you move the trackpad around to icons um on the ipad icons get a little bit larger you know and then you just they sort of subtly grow a little bigger so it's not so much that there's a the um the cursor disappears and it's more that these things are just getting a little larger when you move something over a button the button expands and what was interesting is that that's how the eye tracking manifested here was that it wasn't so much like there was no cursor and it was just that each part of the interface would just be a bit bolder when you were looking at it or a menu would open up and that's again like um I mean, Call of the Mountain, Horizon Call of the Mountain actually uses a lot of stuff like this when you turn on the eye tracking on PSVR 2. Um, but it's not a system-wide PSVR 2 um, eye tracking interface thing. But yeah, it's it's cool because it, it makes it feel even more subtle that you just go, 
sometimes I freaked out. Like, well, am I really looking at the thing, especially in the corners? I kind of felt like I was like, oh, I have to go up a little bit. But a lot of where they play some of the closed window apps and things were, were a little more centered. And um, and just it highlighted and I tapped my fingers. And it was just a matter of when you saw it expand, you knew that you were fine. Um, so I'm curious how that how that plays out. Yeah, I've definitely done eye tracking demos that have a reticle that are showing you the dot. And that's so annoying to see the dot go around everywhere. Right. Yeah. So. And sometimes like they'll be almost too subtle and maybe not have any. I don't know if I'm thinking about this. Maybe I'm thinking more about phobia to rendering, but it's like there are times where I feel like there are games that would say, oh, we're using eye tracking. But like I didn't even know how it was manifesting. And it was like it was almost like this. Am I am I fooling myself? But like it was, you know, I think here at least like the it was subtle, but you definitely knew there were there were there was feedback. You know, you got you got some sense of what was happening, but it was very underplayed in the way it was showing up in the interface. Yeah, it's hard to watch your own eye tracking because the saccades you basically black out and you can't see your eyes move anyway. Your your brain doesn't put it together, you need to either have a recording or see other people in the experience to be able to see how their eyes are being tracked. So, yeah. But uh, I did want to ask a couple more questions and then wrap up here because you did yep. mention the the three things. We talked about the interface. You also mentioned the display and also the integration with other systems. So I wanted to just briefly cover those because I, I want to just get your take. Carl Gutag of KG on Tech, he has a blog and did an interview with them at AWE and he was saying that he thought that the minimum threshold for having really good, you know, screen replacement type of tech would be at least a minimum of 40 degrees uh, or 40 pixels per degree. Um, eye retinal resolution is around 60 uh, pixels per degree. Uh, mm -hmm. So by rough estimates, it's maybe around that threshold that he thought maybe it passed that critical threshold. Um, he was worried about virgin, virgin accommodation conflict. So eye strain, looking at the screen for too long, that close up. So... Yeah. I know you only had like a half hour of trying it out, but I don't know if you have any initial thoughts on the viability of Apple Vision Pro being in this use case of a screen replacement. And if you see that people could actually comfortably do a lot of extended work or reading within this uh, headset. Yeah, it's a good question. There was only real, one real reading demonstration, which was we kind of opened up, uh, it was like Safari, I think, and we were reading an article. You know, the text was, not that tiny. It wasn't, it wasn't super large. It was like, you know, your standard like feature article um, text and it looked nice and crisp. But I, I think a lot of stuff we looked at were photos and they were, um, you know, immersive uh, Apple's immersive videos and, and the 3d captured videos and um, movie clips, you know, I, the, the um, comfort for the eye is different there. You know, I feel like there's a, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, it's a very good question. Um, the text looked fine. It didn't, I'd say the text didn't wow me as much as the movie footage, probably because of the, the brightness and the vividness of the color. Um, so it's it's a good question. And Apple was not forthcoming with them. Um, they, they did not have a lot of the those real nitty gritty specs. I think they mentioned like the millions of pixels, but I don't know the, the field of view, um, you know, even. And the field of view looked really good, but I, that's it's a terrible reference point to say that it didn't it never bothered me and it probably seemed as good as or better than a lot of standard vr headsets you know but um like good enough that i was not looking through a porthole and it was it felt like i was getting a good view of the room um but yeah i think it's that's a really interesting question 
And also the even design of this current first first gen headset, having that two hour battery life with the battery pack also means that unless you're plugged into an outlet like there and also I, I would imagine the recommendation would be you should take breaks. Um, so I it's an interesting question of how long you'd want to work on this. I find my my comfort level for VR is expanded up to like an hour plus in a session. But but then I'm kind of I need to get out um, probably. But like I could do, I've definitely done things being in like VR theater or other things where I've done like an hour and a half and um, and go wow where did the time go? But I think it's I think it's going to be one of the best. But that's really to be determined. Also, how comfortable it feels, the weight wise, you know the um, and how that all feels. And I really want to be able to see working on it, like um, writing on it, um, using a trackpad, um, using some of their physical tools. This was a very browsing experience um, that I think we got to see. Yeah, that was the last thing you said as you were coming into the demo. You were really interested in about the integrations. Like they showed footage of like walking up to a Mac laptop and it turns into a 4K you know, monitor above it that can float around and you can move it around and start to do work on that laptop, but as this external monitor. So I know you didn't get to see any demos of that, but love to hear just any comments or reflections on just the ecosystem aspect yeah. of Apple, all their different devices, all their platforms, all their frameworks, kind of all coming together, interacting with each other and their whole ecosystem of existing applications and what, what you see as the next steps for this existing library of mostly 2D apps as they start to come in import over into at least getting a 2D representation in the spatial computing and then maybe sprinkle in other spatial components. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been looking at product lines for Apple and reviewing them and waiting for them to evolve certain ways and having this yearly incremental step thing where I'll, I'll get driven crazy waiting for something to arrive, particularly the iPad and its evolution into what I'd like to see is kind of a, a, a complete Mac replacement or fusion. Um, so sometimes what you hope for, or even like Apple Watch with a watch face store, there are things that I expect will happen that that never seem to get there. So um, there's stuff I'd like to see happen with the lineup, but that may not be in Apple's plans. What I think is interesting that I see is that the Mac was presented as the monitor extension device, but the device is running iOS-based apps. So it reminds me almost of the, Chromebook, um, Android thing, you know, where like, it's not that, but it's, but it's an, but I don't know, like it's, you know, the Mac environment and its relation to Apple's, um, app store ecosystem has always been a little bit weird. And, uh, the, the way those two have been dovetailing, I've been watching that for years and I feel like it's converging now on the headset. And it seemed to me going into this event, that I had this like 11th hour thought that I wrote into the preview piece that it seems like the perfect companion piece for the headset is the iPad Pro. Like I, I really thought that they were gonna set that up because it runs the same apps. And the iPad Pro was already the test bed for a lot of their AR features. It had the it was the first to get the LiDAR sensor. It also has like looking at um speaking of ABOE, I didn't go there, but looking at that company, um, Sightful that has space top, um, it's an interesting, similar type of proposition that with the keyboard, with the idea that as an IMU, you know, it can, it can anchor the base and display the screen. And I thought that was ahead of its time because like you need the motion sensors maybe to kind of help it anchor. Like it would be a nice benefit. 
And then like the iPad has that. The iPad has like the versus the MacBook, the iPad has all the motion sensors. It's got two depth sensing cameras on the Pro, which I thought you could scan like eventually shouldn't those scan your your yourself or do what they did with the TV where you could have second screen interesting second screen interactions um so anyway i thought and also touch screen and pencil i thought were, were a more interesting way of tactily interacting for an interface for mixed reality um where you just much more easily control things but that didn't come to pass like so i think that the macbook makes a lot of sense and already is set up in vr headsets now as a way to do that um but i was really surprised that the iphone and ipad were not are not interactive parts of this at the moment also similarly the apple watch like i think a lot of people were wondering the apple watch seemed to make a lot of sense as an interface i thought for years that like and and that is already talking about this like you're and i'm sure down the road that is apple's plan but the wrist seems like a, a great, great way to get the haptics that are already there. Um, they updated the Apple Watch last year with um, improved motion uh, accelerometer and gyro, which I felt was a, a clear, <laughs> I thought that was the hint. You know, they said it was for car crash detection mainly, but I was going, huh, all of this fidelity in, in all of this stuff, isn't that going to help with things like mixed reality and, and motion sensing? Maybe that's still in the works. Um, but I feel like they've already got, they've already got a thing. They already have gesture accessibility controls. They've already figured out pinching, and um, and certain gestures are already on the watch, in a in a sort of a more accessibility experimental way. So I just thought they were going to unroll that and go with it. But it's early days, and maybe maybe even, you know, I don't even know how incremental they're going to be with this. Like. Um, in 2024, when this is coming out, maybe they will make other surprise announcements and things like this. Or maybe it'll be a 2025, like Meta updates their hardware all the time. Like, will Apple be really aggressive with updates to the platform? Will they have like a more hardware update rollout? So I'm really curious. I'm really curious about those products because like you, you were saying about how their ecosystem works. I think the answer right now is an incomplete. You know, I think that they have all the pieces there right now, and they've spent a lot of time setting up these pieces. They're probably the best set up with a really integrated set of often closed off products that people get frustrated about, but are also really fantastically made that feel like they play right into this. And I was just going like, what's going on? You know, like, I think the answer was like, we don't want to do that. It feels like the answer is like, why would you have a touchscreen? plus mixed reality, but I can see the touchscreen perfectly clearly in their pass-through camera. Like that's the magic here is that it's a yes and. Like you can, you can, I don't think it's, maybe that's the thing too. Maybe in, in the mind of, I can't get into the mind of Apple, but you know, is it that maybe the idea is that it's not good enough to work on a screen through with the camera pass-through or would you enhance, I mean, why not create a virtual version of the phone? that you hold up and suddenly you have that. So I just kind of, I do want it all there and we're getting, <laughs> I mean, step one, but I think that there's so much more there. Whereas I think the thing they really nailed was the display. You know, that's the part where I'm like, I think I'm not sure what more I'd want there. That's the part where I, that's why I walked away the happiest with it. Cause I go, well, there's one thing they 
they did that I was like, I think, I think they get, I think they got it was like, you know, that's it. But the interface and the device compatibility, I, I think there's room to grow. Yeah. As you think about minimum viable product and it's already a $3,500 device. I mean, they have patents for rings with haptics on it and, you know, they could add a watch in there, but then you're, you know, talking about a baseline of getting basic functionality, the price starts to go up and up even more. So I think yeah. it's probably good to start with just the hands and uh, yeah. this $3,500 headset and then slowly expand out. I mean, they did during the keynote show how the watch was able to detect your golf swings or tennis swings and do a lot more um, kind of motion movement, but that's still probably only three DOF and six DOF. You really need to have computer vision tracking it already. So yeah, I mean, I think it, as they move into whatever their strategy is, I mean, it seems to be pretty stationary, more mixed reality and having these, you know, productivity apps where you're reading and doing work and, you know, actually making things like that's probably an area that if anything, meta is so focused on gaming that they haven't really optimized for that productivity use case. And it seems like to really get to the bare minimum amount of specifications that this device, because it is the Apple Vision Pro, it is a pro device. So maybe thinking about it in terms of that working in a professional context rather than necessarily a consumer context, even though there's amazing you know videos and 3D videos and all that stuff. But, but really at the end of the day, what's gonna be the killer app that makes people want to get this maybe having like all this additional screen real estate that depending on whatever you're doing, again, if it's able to use that spatial component to make you more productive, I think there's going to be a, a subsection of people whose profession is going to do that. Not certainly everyone, but maybe some people who need to have like a hundred tabs open and it'd be just easier to, to put those tabs in a room that you can walk around. And, you know, I've done an interview with Christopher North who talks about what they've done with that type of uh, embodied cognition for sense making and intelligence analysis within the intelligence community. So that's certainly yeah. that type of sense making loop um, has been used already. And Rob Lindemann of the, you know, IEEE VR that I did an interview with him back in 2015, he was researching non fatiguing interfaces. So you'd be sitting down and using a tablet with your fingers and like using your fingers to kind of like walk on the tablet. And so maybe there's going to be additional kind of user interface uh, paradigms where you have like a abstracted way that you're moving your fingers on a touchscreen, but you're able to have some sort of agency that's happening in a spatialized context. That's yeah. sort of the beginning of what they're doing with Qualcomm with the dual render vision, uh, the dual uh, render fusion with this integration between these uh, cell phones and these spatial experiences. And yes. incidentally, I, I did actually have a chance to try Sightful at AWE, and I'd say that the resolution isn't high enough. It's also like the field of view is kind of annoyingly not like it's not 120 degrees. It's certainly no. not 90. It's probably more like 80 to 60 to, I don't know what the degrees, basically I was getting a lot of windowing effects, which if you imagine trying to work on a monitor and you look around and you can't see your full monitor. It kind of defeats the purpose of having an extended stream in, in my opinion. And again, it depends on how close the text is and what work you're doing. But I felt like this kind of translucent looking at the text with something in the background um, wasn't necessarily compelling for my use case, but I can imagine for some yeah. people for the type of work, if they want to have privacy or whatnot, it may be super compelling for them to have these AR glasses and this sightful laptop to be able to uh, type on. It actually picked up a like a best of show at AWE. So certainly there's a lot of people that are excited about it, but 
for my use case and what I'm doing, it wasn't necessarily compelling. So anyway, yeah, it's interesting for super mobile. Yeah. Well, but you brought up to the multitasking, like that's something that we didn't get to. They open a few flat apps, but like this headset, one of the most interesting things that I didn't see is the ability for it to run multiple um, 3D mixed reality apps side by side, which is something that like HoloLens magically can do. But again, like you said, the limited field of view and the limited market and the app stores where they didn't have a big, um, a lot of stuff to tap into. But that thinking about that for like a larger field of view uh, pass through mixed reality headset is also a whole new thing. Like, I'm really interested how that works. Like, how do you set up different things in your space and and how, how does that actually play out? Hmm. Yeah, well, I guess as we start to wrap up, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts of some of the takeaways that you're coming away with, uh, especially when it comes to this moment in the evolution of the XR industry. I know certainly for uh, going at AWE, it was really like, it felt like this liminal space where we're about to enter into this new epoch. And so Javier yeah. Fadol actually told me that he said it was the end of the beginning. So we've Truth. been in this beginning phase and we're kind of entering into the maybe the next phase, the middle phase, or the, this next chapter of this evolution of XR. But love to hear some of your reflections on that since you've been tracking this industry from, you know, since the beginning and yeah. had a chance to have your eyes on probably a lot more of the different headsets than most. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear some of your reflections of this moment in the evolution of the XR industry with the announcement of Apple's Apple Vision Pro. Well, I, I had really been looking forward to for a while getting the, the, the companies driving the hardware and software that people use getting into the space. And I guess that's like the, in my mind, uh, mainly Apple and Google. You know, like Microsoft too, but Microsoft's been in this space. But also, I'd like to see how it. Re they're they're in kind of a pause mode now, as it feels, as they are. They had a lot of layoffs, and Holland's too is still around, but they're partnering with Qualcomm on chips. A lot of things are flowing through Qualcomm now, and trying to get to glasses and phone compatibility. But um, Google, Samsung, um, and and Qualcomm are working on this mixed reality partnership that probably will. I imagine it's going to move in dovetailing like lockstep with Apple's headset, you know, they were similar like to Android wear and Apple watch, how they were staggered around the same year. Um, Android wear came ahead of, of Apple there. So I think that, I think this does feel like a big moment and it's interesting because it also clearly I've, I've seen a lot of comments about people saying that it validates what they've been working on. The industry tends to move in these, um, ups and downs across the whole tech industry. Um, and, and whenever things get crest really big and they come down, I've heard so many VR is here, VR is dead moments. Um, there've been a lot of those and I've tried not to write uh, VR is dead stories um, or like VR is finally here story uh, stories. I, I got, I got frustrated about them every time they emerge. So here I'm thinking, you know, I think it's I think it's more that um, things are like re, maybe restabilizing, and that there there have been a lot of like drop off all of a sudden again with AI. But I also notice in the landscape and the way I see it is that they are interconnected, and so it's funny people talk about AI versus this or this versus that, but they all seem to be. What I've been noticing is a lot of new technologies all sort of 
um, excitingly intertwining and going towards some new emergent thing. And sometimes it can feel brain-bendingly tremendous. And I would talk about it with people and feel like I was kind of like, you know, almost losing my mind. But it's it's intriguing because AI drives AR. People, I saw a tweet about AR being the interface for AI. And um, once you once you have vision arrays that can really be with you all the time, not only will they get better, but per like Alex Kipman talked about this once and Meta's talked about, Michael Abrash has talked about this, like those can then drive other things like robotics and cars. And um, these systems, it, it, it will fuel a lot of different things at once. And so I feel like what's interesting to me is there's the headset, yes, but ambient computing, robotics, um, where all of this stuff seems to be going with a lot of different things intertwining, um, it feels like it's heading towards the beginning of that. And so I think that's that's like a really long road, but um, it's funny because people talk about like, oh, I don't want wear, I don't want to wear a headset, but I wonder how much of this platform. I mean, Apple is a product company, so they do want you to wear the and buy the product, but how much of this platform in the long run is also about this? The spatial computing is about something that kind of exists beyond a device, which is, I guess, what the, the code for what the metaverse conversation was. But I think it's there's a lot of these thoughts that have been out there for years, Magic Leap and others, digital twins, and um, and and that world map of connected things that um, that I feel like once that starts unfurling, that that becomes like almost mind-bogglingly fascinating and um, gets into internet of things. And so I think there's a lot of that, but then I don't, I feel like I'm always hesitant to like get too excited because sometimes these things don't work out and then there's overhyping waves. And, but I think that um, I think this is going to drive a lot of stuff. I think it's, I think it, it definitely seems to validate meta. And so it's interesting. Like it, it suddenly the $500 VR headset Seems like an awfully good proposition <laughs> um, against the $3,500 one. Um, and there, it feels like they're all kind of meeting in the middle. Um, maybe Apple's taking the wave eventually slowly getting more affordable. Um, yeah, I think there's something here. But I don't think it's, it's I don't look, I didn't look at this as a whole new thing. I think sometimes some people came out of it going, oh, it's a whole new thing. It's really here. I look at it like, this has made strides to get to the convergence that has been happening. And I think this is like, you know, and it also shows that no, it's not dying out. This is, this is an ongoing continuum. So I think that's pretty fascinating. So, yeah, you said it was like this and you're putting your hands together. So kind of like this oh, yeah. integration point. So sorry. Yeah, I was doing the hit, but an integration point and it, it, I think it's kind of, it's also, I always thought metaverse was kind of code for like the new internet, which got co-opted by crypto. Um, but, you know, the internet's been flat. The internet has had websites. We think of, we think, I mean, phones redefined it, but the internet is sort of an ever-present thing around us anyhow. It's the thing that floats around. And um, I think this is more about the, the full expression of that. I think this is going to get to the point where thing, and it's a little scary, but it's just where like 
you know, there is not really going offline. But I think when we have phones in our pockets all the time, we're not really offline anyhow. You can still disconnect things. But I think the idea of it's 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 to where Apple's doing a headset that's in your home, but as as Qualcomm and others go towards something that's with you all the time, it's going to feel that's the augmented part of the augmented reality that um, I, th I think it'll become, this will lead to more partnerships too, like companies that may have been locations that may have said, we're not going to get a board on this. Um, companies like Apple and others going on may drive a lot of that a lot more where you may have like not seen it at a, at a store, at a, at a theme park, at a, parking lot or wherever, you know, like suddenly you'll have integrations all over the place down the road, way down the road. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels like there'll be a lot more folks have the confidence to get into the industry. It's not just Mark in the metaverse and folks feeling like he's chasing a dystopian dream, but actually that this is a real shift from 2d to 3d in this spatial computing, uh, epoch paradigm shift, this, uh, spatial computing paradigm shift, I do think is something that is genuinely new, generally new in the sense that you're right, that I think a lot of this has been monotonic growth across all these things coming together. But the thing, at least from what I'm hearing from all the accounts, is this integration of all these component parts, these puzzle pieces to the point where it just works and is at this bar of a minimum threshold of an immersive experience that Apple feels like it can stand behind with its privacy by design architecture and they're all their human computer interaction. And there's certainly a lot of 2D interfaces. And so to start with really optimizing their interfaces for folks who already have 2D things, so they don't feel like they're completely left behind uh, with not yeah. being able to integrate with this, but to slowly you know, transition from 2D to 3D, this feels like a really gentle uh, transition point for a whole ecosystem of developers, millions of them literally that are out there with all these different applications. So. I think it's the the ecosystem aspect to me is is what I'm really excited to see where this goes. Even if there's a a fraction of a, a one percent or five percent who genuinely do something new in in terms of spatial computing, then that's going to be a lot more than you know what feels to be a highly curated selection of whatever Meta has decided is going to be valuable. Which I feel like there's a lot of stuff that has been happening that they have not focused on. Whether it's you know that that Meta has really been focused on gaming almost like in a yeah. monism type of way. Like that's the only thing that exists is gaming. And yeah. there's a lot of stuff that has been out there that's been relegated to either the app lab or just not even getting on the app lab, whether it's some, some healthcare applications as an example. Right. Yeah. For, productivity stuff is very hard for visibility. Fitness they've done, they've pushed into, but, but yeah, there are a lot of other things. I mean, the quest pro tried to make a move into work, but then it also brings up this interesting thing that like meta has a, a it's, it's, it's the trap of, they have this, very specific app store that has been defined by gaming. And so they were saying quest Pro is for work, but how many people have a quest pro whereas Apple, how many people are going to have a vision pro, but, but on the flip side, Apple is starting with their iOS app library. And so they have a big head start there with stuff that is recognizably productivity focused or whatever. Whereas Meta is having to import those as 2d apps that may not be integrated with your accounts easily. That's the other thing. Like, so just cause like you have, you know, whatever app that you have on your phone on a quest, it's really about like, oh, are you logged in easily? Is it crossing over? And Apple's having that easy login, that easy, you know, you're on your same iCloud account. And I think that's the part where like, 
that's why I want the Googles and Apples and others to do it because we're already like that now. It's like you, your Netflix account is signed in over here and here and here, and you're doing Google Cloud to do this. And the, it's like the headsets just need to have that that dovetailing. I'm doing my hands again, but you know they need to have that that stuff. Um, which I, I think the Quest really has had a hard time with because they don't have another ecosystem out there. It's Facebook, and really, it's it's this VR headset. Yeah, and even with some of the areas where they could have brought in some of these different applications, they have HTML web apps, but Meta has taken the approach of having to go through the curated web store system rather than just having like a website where you could have a native application. So I feel like this competition with Apple and Meta is going to really light a fire underneath Meta's ass to be able to maybe change the way yeah. they're thinking about this to really expand the ecosystem in a way to to come up to more parity. So I think for both of them, it's going to be really good competition, both from both sides. But um, yeah, I guess the, the final question I have that I ask everybody is, what do you think the ultimate potential of spatial computing might be and when it might be able to enable? I think the ultimate ability of spatial computing would be to, um, I think one of the most exciting things that I, I thought about when I was talking, was actually um, at down at WWDC, that we're talking about applications for people who are older that um there is the thought of like virtual tourism or travel but i think there's there's one interesting thing about it it being a way to trigger memories and experiences that you've already had to kind of not have to say goodbye to things apple's getting into that now with memories which i don't think was perfectly executed with with what they're doing is i think you need to capture the memories better than wearing the headset but viewing them is an interesting proposition um but the other part is is the whole training part. Like simulation training has been a thing in, in the space for a while. But it's so interesting to think about how this stuff really can help you get better at things or experience things before you experience them. And fitness has been that thing now. Like I think that Beat Saber and other things have been literally fitness workouts for people. That was the one part I was disappointed with Apple that there was no announcements on fitness. Although there was a, there was a meditation app. But... I think there will be absolutely. Maybe they're waiting for a more the more active mobile interactive part of the of Vision Pro needs to come. But that gets into the thing of the real benefits of spatial computing is that that movement, the spatial, not having to have everyone be super active, but that it can become something holistic that's not just about vision. You know, that I think that you you build um really interesting muscle memory. And pre-experiencing things that can start to, whether it's like music or um, acting is interesting. Like I did VR acting a year ago with some people and it really felt like we were being there. We were working on the ideas of performance. And um, I think there's so much possibility in all this. People talk about it replacing the real world, but I think it's more about pre-experiencing it's like a dress rehearsal you know <laughs> like you could um there's there you stage something in dress rehearsals and then you have performance or you will look at a map at something before you go and i think that it won't replace the experience but it, it could actually dovetail i mean apple has garage band like you know do it with real instruments that you can conjure in mixed reality and you know they, they all those apps that do that stuff like they they dabble in those creative tools anyhow. Um, 
you could learn to be a filmmaker, you know, you could set up shots and um, do things. So I think, I think that's like a really interesting, um, that's the immediate most exciting thing about it. That's like in your home, but then the, in the real world, to me, the, the ultimate potential is to transform and intertwine spaces to that, so that they can in interesting dynamic ways, not to replace physical, but to, help physical be more um, vibrant, you know, maybe to have awareness of things. Maybe, you know, that something's going on there or something's um, for some people, it has a certain meaning or presence. I don't know. I think about those William Gibson books for years, you know, people would tour a spot and see something and living landmarks and, and locations. So I think there's people have tried that already, but, you know, I think that that's, those are the big things. Pre-experiencing yeah. things and training is the big thing for me. Yeah, the yeah. fact that it's so much the name of Apple Vision Pro, I think is very striking because the code name was XRS OS, which is the extended reality OS, which is probably a little bit more robust of including all the dimensions of extended reality, virtual reality, augmented reality. But to just focus it on the site, I feel like is too limited um, yeah. because you have the hearing, you have taste, touch, smell, haptics. Um, I feel like in some ways this further, this first iteration is this full extent of just focusing on the vision. But yeah. the problem I have with that is there's not as much aspects of embodiment of moving your body around, moving around to space. So I'm hoping that it's not this systemic, uh, I guess, bias against things like virtual reality, but it's not just the aspect of virtual reality. It's this aspect of being embodied and experiences of spatial computing. So we'll see how it continues to evolve. I think it, at this first start, it is very vision-based, but I feel like yeah. as a name, I'm not necessarily satisfied with it because I don't think it's necessarily going to be robust enough to encompass what all the things it's going to account for in five, 10, 20 years. So yeah, I don't that's my, it's my as an XR person who's really focused on spatial computing, um, just focusing on one of the senses feels like a, a little bit of a weird choice, but yes. that's reflective of where they're at with the whole thing. I agree. And it made me wonder, like, you know, will they have other accessories based on other senses? And is this part of like a, a rollout or is this, I mean, even the pitch of it definitely seemed, and, and my takeaway was that, and that's what led to the headline was that this is an audiovisual fidelity experience and also has these other things, but so much of what they seem to be looking at right now is about that. And definitely achieves that. But I, I think the two, I don't know, there are two high ticket price things that I feel like they could have pushed on here. One was definitely the monitor thing, but the other is like Peloton and fitness. You know, I thought that like, that wasn't, that was an obvious mainstream area that, you know, people would go, Oh, I, I go to a gym or I'm paying. And that's what Meta's locked onto, you know, that, and I think that Apple's design and focus on health research could, could really make strides in a lot of new ways but it's not here yet. So I think that's like a here and now embodied thing. Um, but yeah, I wonder about that too. I mean, it is a big, it is a wonderful screen. It's got a lot of cameras. It's got an outer screen. So there's a lot of vision going on. Um, and the eye tracking to be able to interface with. And that. eye tracking. Yeah. So maybe, you know, and, and even the names for eyesight and other things. And maybe that was their way of also like explaining it to people. Cause it seems like they are leaning away from, VR as if they feel it will, 
I can't think it's a branding thing, but I think it's because uh, VR is just a term, but it's um, maybe that it would, it would um, make people nervous or make people feel weirded out that there's something here that seems to be like, oh yeah, do you know, enter your, enter your cinema or look at the screen. It's fine. You know, it's, there's, a, there seems to be a pushback on, on that and to make it not virtual reality, even though it is technically it's technically a virtual reality headset. You know, this is this is a virtual reality headset with with really fantastic pass through, and that's not a bad thing. This is it's just kind of how we've defined what these things are, um, which also happens to be a spatial computer. Um, but that's I don't know. Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like Niantic has John Hickey who talks about the quote unquote real world metaverse, and I feel like in some ways Apple has gone into this hierarchy saying that the physical reality is better than any virtual experience and that it's escapist. And so I think because of those different types of bifurcations of what is physical, yeah. and what is real, it goes back to Descartes and what David Chalmers argues against, which is that, you know, yes. virtual realities are actual genuine realities, but yet we have this perspective from Apple that is a kind of like this carry on. That's a bias against all these virtual talks, uh, a virtual framing of anything. So they've, yes. they've deliberately avoided any talk about it, even though like you said, they've literally created a VR headset that they refuse to acknowledge. They, I mean, in some, in some, in a similar way that uh, Microsoft would call them the mixed reality headsets rather than VR headsets. But maybe this is just the next iteration of Apple trying to find a branding that they can really get behind without all these dystopic visions of people escaping into other realities. But they want to find all the ways that they can uh, orient people back to, you know, with the eyesight to be able to see other people, to have the mixed reality as this basis, to not be locomoting through these virtual worlds and get motion sickness. And so maybe it's just this other design to get around all these other negative aspects that people have had around VR and have my biggest... preferences focused on something that is going to avoid all those uh, biases against the medium. That's my biggest fear is with the big tech companies um, closing in on this now is that I hope their, their individual philosophies don't get too locked down and that it gets to the point where I love the weird artist um, presence in new technologies, you know, and I think that it's wonderful and vibrant. And I know that the new adopters of these things, the avant-garde, um, you know, get upset when things get co-opted and rightfully so. And so I, I really, I think there's also a part here where like my, my entreaty would be like, it's a come on in the water's fine, you know, thing. Like it's okay. You can get weird. We've been here. People have been doing stuff in this embodiment and, and all these things is great. You know, don't I? It's like ready. It's the Ready Player One argument. You know, it's like don't get too corporate. You know, I think that um, I, you know Disney was on stage or in the video, and you know, I think um, the degree to which I think these can be experimental playgrounds is really important. Otherwise, app stores get full of crap. And <laughs> no, don't don't let that happen. You know, like I think that's the big big fear in the space um, for me. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, is there, is there anything else that's left and said that you like to say to the broader immersive community? Hi. No, I don't know. Um, I, no, I would just say, well, one thing I'd like to say is I really love the, the immersive community's ability to pre-model things. Meaning, like I wrote earlier in this year about Meow Wolf, and I became very enamored with them. And uh, I felt this way before with like third rail theater projects, seeing different th theater things. That's how I met a lot. I mean, a lot of the people um, um, at Everything Immersive, um, Noah Nelson, Catherine Yu, like 
a lot of people who are wonderfully like early guides for me in these in these spaces. But it's fantastic and to be reminded that like great things are made that don't need tech. Like the theater, this goes back to the theater thing. Dreaming can happen without the tech. Immersion is an experience that can happen without the tech. Tech wants to be there too. There are great dovetailings that can happen, but dreaming of these worlds and spaces should be an ongoing process. And so as far as the immersive community goes, I think they're always at the vanguard. You know, I think that dreaming forward ahead of the tech is really important because it also inspires the technology companies. They they'll say, you know, someone who goes, Oh, I saw sleep no more. Or I did this, or, you know, it was really cool. And now I read this book and now I want to do this. And, um, I think the art starts first and, um, the tech follows and then the art goes into the tech, but then it's, a, it's like a balance. So that, I guess that's my message is that I hope, I hope new things go into the tech, but I also hope a lot of stuff advances before the tech always, because I think that, it also creates new arguments like the Tribeca's and the other, you know, like we've seen these things for years, like um, that needs to happen. If that stops happening, then I think that we're in text domain and then I don't want that to be the case. Like, mm -hmm. so that's the playwright in me saying, awesome. yeah. Well, beautiful. Well, that's, that's a great way to end, especially because tomorrow morning I'm going to be flying to New York city to cover the Tribeca immersive festival with 13 different immersive experiences from June 8th to 16th. I'll be in New York city covering all that. And also shout out to, to Noah Nelson and Catherine Yu of no proscenium and everything immersive. They just had their next stage immersive festival that was happening overlapped with AWE and right before this announcement at Apple on Monday. So I know that they were gathering all the theater and XR folks in Los Angeles, California to have this intersection between this arts and technology. For me, that's a big focus. What I agree totally 100% that it's those artists, those immersive storytellers and those creators that are really uh, pushing the medium forward along with all the other independent game developers and other indies that are out there. It's the indies that are really innovators that don't have anything to lose to get into these mediums and push it forward. So I'm yes. personally looking forward to see what the indies do with this new platform and um, what the artists and creatives are able to do as well. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to thank you, Scott, for taking the time after this long trip uh, out to Apple to see all these things and to, to get back from your long trip and thank sit you. down for a couple hours to unpack it all. Really appreciate the time and all of your deep insights and wisdom from not only the XR side, but your long history of covering all things technology and Apple and seeing these two worlds come together. It's really nice to to maybe uh, have a complete Scott now that's able to. I really appreciate it. No, this has been wonderful. And uh, jet lag works in my favors, at least. So that's good. Um, it doesn't feel that late. Um, and kills me that I was not at, uh, um, out, out in LA, um, for, uh, for the, for their event. I was following everything remotely that Noah and Catherine and others were doing. So I think that stuff is, uh, that's us very vibrant, very exciting and, um, go, go team with all that. That's a, that's, that's really cool stuff that's emerging. So that was Scott Stein. He's an editor at large at CNET, and we had a chance to talk about his hands-on impressions of Apple Vision Pro, which premiered on June 5th, 2023 at WWDC in Cupertino, California. So I have a number of different takeaways about this interview is that, first of all, well, it was just really great to be able to just sit down with Scott and 
talk about all these different platforms, his impressions, and compare it to other systems. I mean, this is an opportunity to really unpack all the different dimensions of this experience and what it means for the larger XR industry based upon all the different things that we've seen. I think we both had a chance to see iFluence in 2016. Scott wrote about it in February. I wrote about it in September after seeing it at TechCrunch Disrupt. And that was the one system where you're using your eyes as a primary mode of user interface. And combining that with the pinch, with the multimodality aspect, I think is, you know, like Ben Lang said, that you're using your eyes as the mouse cursor, your fingers coming together as the mouse button click, and then with the voice to be able to do higher fidelity text entry and whatnot. So yeah, just really fascinating to hear all the different reflections from Scott and how it, for him, at least it connects to all these other platforms. And uh, yeah, and just a lot of really deep context also from the Apple ecosystem for the stuff that he wants to see as well. So really appreciated how all these worlds are coming together. And especially as we start to integrate all the different aspects of immersive storytelling and theater, which I was pleasantly surprised to hear a little bit more about his own background in theater, because there's so much about the future of immersive storytelling that is bringing these immersive theater and theatrical components. So really good transition, I guess, as we start up this little mini pop-up series of covering a lot of the different stuff happening at the WWDC. Uh, Like I said, I didn't get an invite for this particular event. And for anybody who is at Apple, please do pass along some of these different interviews to the comms folks there. I would love to get onto the list to be able to come to future events, especially like the launch event that's coming up sometime next year. I'm sure you're going to have lots of different demos. Love to be able to come check it out and add my own expertise. You know, my particular focus has been more on the experiential side and seeing what has been the future of immersive storytelling and spatial computing, seeing lots of different demos over the years, covering Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Venice Immersive, and If a Doc Lab, trying to see as much as I can from these different places. And yeah, just have a lot of different insight for what's happening for the multimodal fusion of experiential design and immersive storytelling and subtle nuances of the future of spatial computing. So yeah, <laughs> love to be able to, to get on the list and see the future releases and to uh, also be there to do face-to-face conversations because it's a lot better for me to be able to have these conversations face-to-face than it is to do them remote. Although I try to make the most of what I was able to do over the past day of getting all these different hands-on impressions from both Ben and, and Scott on Tuesday, June 6, 2023, which ended up being nearly four hours of conversations, as well as putting out a previous conversation that I did with Raven Zachary and Sarah Hill that I had from their first impressions of the announcements from Monday, June 5th, 2023. So I think everybody that I've talked to at least is super excited about this announcement from Apple. It's really like a sea change. We're entering a new chapter of the XR industry and excited to see how it continues to evolve from here. So that's all I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a listener-supported podcast. And so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring you this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.